Bibles this morning and turn to Acts chapter 7. <clears throat> Acts chapter 7, and let's just uh, begin reading from verse 54. It says, When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at, on the right hand of God. And they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Let's open with a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Holy Father, we do thank you for this, this day. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be in your house. Thank you for the opportunity to come around your word. And Lord, I pray that this morning as we continue our study in the book of Acts, that Lord, you would undertake now, that Lord, you would give me wisdom and guidance, <clears throat> that Lord, you would uh, give me the words to say, and that Lord, you would take your word and you would uh, apply it to our hearts this morning. May we be uh, blessed and refreshed through your word today, be challenged by your word. Lord, may we leave uh, singing your praises when we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, of course, Stephen is standing before the Sanhedrin here and he's answering the accusations, the, the false accusations that have been brought against him. Okay, if you remember last time we looked at the, the first section of this chapter, we looked at verses 1 through to 53 and in a two-part series, Sunday morning and Sunday night, and we looked at Stephen's defense that he gives. And what he does in answering these accusations is Stephen takes them through the history of the nation. And he highlights particular aspects of the nation's history to prove that it's Israel who is guilty of rejecting God. To prove that they are the ones who have rejected God, rejected his truth, not Stephen and the disciples. And in response to Stephen's message, the Sanhedrin now is about to commit the final act which sealed the nation's destiny. Now, if you remember after Stephen's death, the gospel now turns towards the Gentiles. Okay? The, the message now spreads forth and, and the Jews are in a state of unbelief, a state of rejection. You know, the nation had already rejected John the Baptist, who was God's witness sent before the Son. Then the nation had rejected the Son himself, putting Christ upon the cross. And now Christ had risen from the dead and the Holy Spirit is at work in the lives of his disciples, his apostles, witnessing to this wonderful truth that Christ is risen. You know, Stephen is one of those witnesses. That's what he was going around preaching in the synagogues, wasn't it? That Christ is risen from the dead. You know, instead of accepting the Holy Spirit's powerful witness through Stephen, instead of accepting his message through Stephen, they rejected God's witness and they stone him to death. Now, if you like, we can think of it as Israel's third murder. You know, they, they permitted John the Baptist to be killed by Herod. They stood by and did nothing. They cried out for Christ to be crucified, and now they put Stephen themselves to death. This is their third 
murder, rejecting God's chosen servants. And following this, the gospel now spreads forth, the, the, the church is dispersed, and the gospel goes forth to the Samaritans and then also to the Gentiles. Israel rejected the truth, and the message spreads as God intended unto you and I. And so this morning now we want to consider this final section in chapter 7. We want to consider the stoning of Stephen. And there are four important parts to this story that I want us to look at this morning. The first is the reaction, the reaction of the Sanhedrin. Verse 54, it says, When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. In verse 54, we're told of the immediate reaction of the Sanhedrin. Now, we must remember, as I said in the introduction, that Stephen has just finished giving his history lesson. He's finished giving his history lesson, and he's highlighted Israel's sin. And he's concluded that message by driving home his point that the Sanhedrin is just as guilty as their forefathers. Verse 51, it says, Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one of whom you have been now the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. And so Stephen has given this history lesson, highlighting Israel's sin, Israel's failure along the way, and he's concluded it by pointing the finger at the Sanhedrin and saying you are just as guilty as your forefathers. You know, until this point, they'd kept silence. You know, the Sanhedrin had not said it, they listened in silence as Stephen delivers this message. But now as he points the finger directly at them, as he makes his point plain, we find that they react with great anger. They become extremely angry here with Stephen. In verse 54, we're told that they gnashed on him with their teeth. You know, this phrase expresses the bitterness of their feeling towards Stephen. That's the whole idea of this gnashing with their teeth. It's the idea that they were filled with bitterness towards Stephen. It's the idea that they snapped their teeth at him like a ferocious animal. You know, like animals thirsting for blood. That's how they reacted here towards Stephen upon hearing this message. Such was their hatred, such was their anger, their bitterness that they now felt towards Stephen. You know, why exactly did they react like this? Well, the answer is given to us at the start of verse 54, isn't it? It says, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. You know, Stephen had preached faithfully the truth. He declared faithfully unto them the truth of God's word, the truth of their history. And, you know, they didn't like what they heard. They didn't like the message. The message had cut them to the hearts. The Holy Spirit had taken God's message from Stephen and had used it and struck it into their hearts, cut them deep in their hearts, convicting them, convincing them, pricking their consciences, showing them their guilts. But they reacted by rejecting the truth, reacted by hardening their hearts. You know, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 speaks about the word of God being like a sword. Let's turn there, Hebrews 4. I know we know this verse, but Hebrews 4 and verse 12 
It says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. God's word is like a sword that pierces the hearts of men. And that's what happens here. Stephen preaches, Stephen delivers God's word, and it cuts them to the hearts. The Spirit has taken the word and has struck it deep into the hearts of the Sanhedrin. You know, when men are cut to the heart by God's word, convicted by the truth, they have a choice still, don't they? They have a choice to either you know, accept and repent or to harden their hearts and reject the truth. The Spirit does a work, but men then have a choice still. A choice to either listen and repent of their sin or to harden their hearts. And sadly, that's what the Sanhedrin does here. They harden their hearts to the truth. They heard the message. They were cut to the hearts. But instead of repenting, instead of acknowledging their sin, they become enraged at God's servants. They're filled with bitterness and anger towards Him. You know, even today, when you and I faithfully preach the truth, it's the Spirit that does the work, isn't it? We take the word of God and we are to faithfully declare the gospel, faithfully declare the message. But it's the Spirit that must do the work. The Spirit must take the word and strike it deep into the hearts of men. The Spirit must do the convicting. But even then, men still have a choice to either accept or reject. Men can still choose to accept God's word in faith and be saved, or they can harden their hearts and reject the truth. You know, all you and I can do is, like Stephen, faithfully declare the truth. That's all we can do. Faithfully declare the truth. And sadly, more often than not, we see this same reaction, do we not? The reaction of the Sanhedrin, that men harden their hearts, that men are enraged against us for preaching the truth. But we still have to preach the truth. Let the Spirit do the work. Let the Spirit do the convicting in the hearts of men. So we've seen the reaction Sanhedrin reacted totally in the wrong way. They became bitter. They became enraged against Stephen, God's servant. And secondly, now we see the vision. The vision. Verse 55, it says, But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Now, as the Sanhedrin here reacts with great bitterness as they're gnashing with their teeth towards Stephen, what does Stephen do? Stephen turns his eyes upon the Lord. Stephen's eyes are heavenward. He's looking to the Lord and he's given here by God a vision of glory. He's given a glimpse into heaven itself. Now, God here vindicates Stephen's testimony, doesn't he? Stephen has just given this, this wonderful message, this powerful message. Man has reacted against him, become bitter, enraged against him. But God now says, Stephen, you've done the right thing. God vindicates Stephen as he gives him this wonderful vision of heaven itself. He gives him this privilege of seeing in the glory. You know, Stephen sees this vision. He sees two wondrous things. We're told, first of all, that he sees the glory of of God, verse 55, it says, But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God. 
he sees the glory of God. I don't know about you, but as soon as I read that, I was immediately reminded of Moses and his glimpse of the glory of God. Let's just turn quickly to Exodus 33. Exodus 33 and verse 18. Exodus 33 and verse 18, it says, And he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And he said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock, and, shall, and it shall come to pass while my glory passeth by, that I will put thee in the cleft of a rock, and I will cover thee with, air with, cover thee with my hand while I pass by, and I will take away mine hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. Now we all know the story well. Moses asked the Lord to show him his glory. And the Lord says he's going to make his goodness, make his, his, his goodness all pass before Moses. Moses is in the cleft of the rock and he sees the hind parts of the Lord. He gets a glimpse of God's glory. You know, when Moses got a glimpse of God's glory, it had an effect upon him. He came down from the mount and his face was shining with the glory of God. It's reflecting God's glory. You know, Stephen here likewise is given a privilege of seeing God's glory. And that glimpse, you know, it would have immediately had an effect upon Stephen too. It would have had the effect of strengthening his resolve, strengthening his faith. You know, think about it. He's standing there and the, the Sanhedrin is becoming enraged against him. Stephen looks up into glory and he sees God's glory. If that doesn't strengthen your faith, what is going to strengthen your faith? God just gives him this glimpse, glimpse of his glory. God vindicates his testimony. Stephen is strengthened in the faith. And not only does he see the glory of God, but he also sees Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. It says in verse 55, But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. He sees the glory of God, that wonderful, magnificent sight, and then he also sees his Savior, his Lord, standing there at the right hand of the Father. He sees the one that he is testifying of before the Sanhedrin, the very one that they are becoming enraged about, the one that they are upset that he is testifying of. Stephen now sees standing at the right hand of the Father, the very one that he is suffering for. You know, what's of particular interest here is that Christ is said to be standing at the right hand of the Father, not sitting. You know, we're told in numerous passages in the, in the New Testament that when Christ ascended into heaven, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. Just turn quickly to Mark chapter 16, just one verse, Mark 16. Mark 16 and verse 19, it says, So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into glory and sat on the right hand of God. Christ went home to glory and he sat down at the right hand of the Father. He sat down, why? Because 
His work was complete. The work of salvation, the work of redemption was complete. Yet now as Stephen gets a glimpse of glory, Christ is on his feet. Why? Well, beloved, it's as if Christ is on his feet to welcome home his servant. It's a pretty awesome picture, isn't it? Christ is on his feet to welcome home to glory the very first of the Christian martyrs. Welcome home Stephen, his faithful servants. Now, what a sight this must have been for Stephen. What a blessing in his hour of need. He's standing there accused. His life is being threatened. And soon after this, he's going to be stoned to death. Stephen needed his faith strengthened, didn't he? He needed the Lord to strengthen his faith, and God gives him this glimpse of heaven. God strengthens his faith in an hour of need. He sees his Savior standing ready to welcome him home. You know, this vision certainly had an effect upon Stephen because he can't contain himself. Stephen bursts out telling them what he's seeing, what he's looking at in glory. Verse 56, it says, And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open, and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. He can't contain himself. He sees this vision and he has to tell them what he's seeing. He declares unto them boldly, he says, I see the Son of Man, I see the Messiah standing at the right hand of the Father. You know, this certainly was not the way to calm down the Sanhedrin, was it? They're enraged, they're bitter against him, they're gnashing their teeth, and Stephen says, I see Jesus standing next to God in glory. This is not the way to calm them down. All this did was simply infuriate them. Point is, Stephen here is full of faith and courage, isn't he? He's full of faith, he's full of courage as he faces this threat of death. You know, that strength came, why? Because all through it, his eyes are upon the Lord. His eyes are looking heavenward. You know, as they are getting angrier and angrier with him, as they're becoming bitter with him, gnashing their teeth, Stephen is looking up to glory. He's looking under God. He's looking under his Savior. Now, he's not focusing on the Sanhedrin here, is he? He's not focusing on their reaction. He's not focusing on what they're doing. He's focusing upon the Lord. And God strengthens his faith in this hour of need. And beloved, this is where Stephen's strength lay. This is why he could have such a strong stand, such a bold stand. Because his eyes were upon the Lord, God gave him the strength to stand. You know, we need to learn from Stephen's reaction. You know, when we face opposition, we need to turn our eyes upon the Savior. We need to look to Him for strength. Look to Him for courage to stand. You know, in our own strength, we will fail. If you and I have our eyes upon the trial, upon the, the problem we're facing, the opposition we're facing, we're going to fail. We're going to give up. We're going to become discouraged, aren't we? You know, as we preach the truth and people react like the Sanhedrin, rejecting God's word, hiding their hearts, if we look at people and look at their reactions, we can quite easily become discouraged, can't we? I think, what's, what's the point? It's not worth it. You know, I preach the truth and no one gets saved. No one listens. Everyone hardens their heart. If we spend all that time looking at their reaction, it discourages us, doesn't it? But instead, our eyes need to be turned towards Him and look to Him the author and finisher of our faith, and just look to Him for strength. And beloved, when we do, He will renew our strength, just like He did with Stephen. He will encourage us. He will strengthen us to keep going on for Him. 
You know, the Lord definitely renewed Stephen's strength here by giving him this wonderful vision of glory. Thirdly, now we see the stoning, the stoning of Stephen. Verse 57, it says, Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul, and they stoned Stephen. You know, Stephen's declaration now of this vision of glory was the final straw for the Sanhedrin. Now, when they heard this, when they heard him say, I see the Son of Man, I see the Messiah standing at the right hand of God, that was enough. That was the final straw for them. You know, they were already full of anger, already full of bitterness. But hearing, hearing him say that Jesus is standing next to God the Father is too much. And now we see that they react with great violence against Stephen. You know, they begin by reacting in verse 57. It says, by crying out with a loud voice and stopping their ears. It says, and they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears. The idea is that they cry out and put their fingers in their ears. You know, they yell out as if to stop him from talking and cover their ears. We don't want to listen to you anymore, Stephen. They're acting like little children, aren't they, really? They yell out, they scream out, they cover their ears, they refuse to listen any longer. Now, they'd heard enough. They weren't going to listen to anything else Stephen had to say. To hear him declare that the one that they had crucified was in heaven, standing next to God, that to them was blasphemy. And that was enough. That was all they needed to rise up and put Stephen to death. They would listen no more. You know, it's interesting that when Christ stood before this very same council of men, and declared that he would sit at the right hand of the Father, they had the exact same reaction. Turn to Matthew 26 with me. Matthew 26 and verse 64. Matthew 26 and verse 64, it says, Jesus saith unto him, Thou hast said, Nevertheless, I am, I say unto you, Hereafter shall you see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand, of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. And the high priest rent his clothes, saying, He hath spoken blasphemy. What further need have we of witnesses? Behold, now ye have heard this blasphemy. What think ye? They answered and said, He is guilty of death. Then they spit in his face and buffeted him, and others smote him with the palms of their hands, saying, Prophesy unto us, Thou Christ, who is he that smote thee? Now Christ here says the very same thing, doesn't he? He says he's going to sit at the right hand of the Father. And their reaction is that they straight away say his words are blasphemy. And to them, that was enough. To them, that was enough to put Christ to death. That was all the evidence they needed. That was all the evidence they wanted to rise up and put him to death. And here they have the same reaction to Stephen's words when he says he sees Christ standing at the right hand of the Father. They see his words as blasphemy. They see it as all the evidence they need to now rise up and put him to death. You know, as we read on, it seems now that all semblance of order disappears. In verse 57, it says, And they cried out with loud voice, and stopped their ears, and ran upon him with one accord, and cast him out of the city, and stoned him. 
And the witnesses laid down their clothes, and the young man's feet, whose name was Saul. They now rush him, take hold of him, drag him out of the city, and they stone him to death. You know, all semblance of order has disappeared. You know, we don't read here of any formal condemnation, do we? We don't read of any sentence being handed down. There is no following here of legal procedure. Instead, the council and the people act like a mob out of control. You know, a mob of men rioting. They rush in with great anger. They grab Stephen, they drag him out of the city, and they murder him. They put him to death. Now, in their rage, they execute Stephen without any regard for the Roman law. The Romans were still in charge. The Romans are still the law givers. You know, if you remember, this is why they couldn't put Christ to death themselves, because Roman law prohibited it. Go to John chapter 18 and verse 31. John 18, verse 31, it says, Then said Pilate unto them, Take ye him, and judge him according to your law. The Jews therefore said unto him, It is not lawful for us to put any man to death. You know, they wanted Christ to be executed, but they didn't have the authority. The Romans didn't let them have the authority to execute someone. The Romans had that authority. And Roman law prevented them from putting Christ to death themselves. But here we find that in their rage... In their anger, they totally disregard Roman law. They just drag Stephen out and they put him to death. They execute him. In verse 58, we're told that the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. They lay their coats now at the the feet of Saul. You know, the, the mention here of these witnesses, the witnesses are the ones doing the stoning. These are the men who are actually throwing the stones. So they've taken off their coats and they've laid them at Saul's feet as they partake in this gruesome act, as they murder Stephen. They've laid him at the feet of Saul. And Saul, as we know, is there assenting to it. He is watching over the proceedings, watching over what's taking place. And you know, this account of Stephen's stoning highlights for you and I the great hatred, the great hatred that the Sanhedrin and the Jews had for Christ and his followers, does it not? The great hatred, the great bitterness that they felt. They are so consumed by hatred here where they put a man who is innocent to death. Without any regard for law, without any regard for a fair trial, they just put him to death. They murder him. You know, in complete contrast to their hatred, in complete contrast to their rage, is the love that Stephen had for them. You know, whereas they hated him enough to kill him, Stephen loves them enough to pray for them, even as he's being executed. So lastly now this morning, we want to consider the prayer of Stephen. The prayer of Stephen, verse 59 again, it says, And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. As Stephen now is being stoned, we find that he prays for two things. Firstly, Stephen prays that the Lord Jesus would receive his spirit. In verse 59, And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, 
receive my spirit. You know, what an amazing prayer this is. You know, it's a prayer that reveals to you and I the character of this man, reveals to us his faith even now, his trust even now. Even now as he's been stoned to death, as, you know, he's been wounded with each blow, where are Stephen's eyes? Where is, where's Stephen's faith? It's still in the Lord. He's still looking to the Lord. He's still trusting in his Savior. His faith in God has not wavered, and now he looks forward to longingly being in the presence of the Lord. He commits his spirit to the care of his Savior. He says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. You know, Stephen here, he knew without a shadow of a doubt where his spirit was going, didn't he? He knew that as soon as he died, he was going to be with the Lord. His spirit was going to be immediately with his Savior. In 2 Corinthians 5 verse 8, Paul speaks about this truth for every believer. 2 Corinthians 5. Verse 8 it says, We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Paul understood this truth. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And it's true for every believer. That when you and I die, our spirit goes immediately to be with the Lord. Stephen understood this truth. And as he's kneeling there, as he's been stoned to death, Stephen is trusting in his Savior. He prays for Christ to receive his Spirit. And secondly, we see him here praying for those that are stoning him to death. He says in verse 60, And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. What a contrast we have. What a contrast between the hatred of the Sanhedrin, the hatred and the bitterness of the Jews towards Stephen and Stephen's love for them. Even as they're stoning him to death, Stephen still feels no hatred. He feels no bitterness towards them, but rather he feels pity and love. Now Stephen prays that God would not lay the sin to their charge. He asks God to forgive them for what they're doing under him. He doesn't pray for them to be condemned. He doesn't pray, God, give them what they deserve. He prays, Lord, forgive them. He prays that they might find forgiveness in Christ, as he had, that they might come to know the Savior. You know, this two-part prayer of Stephen you know, it demonstrates to you and I just how much like Christ Stephen had become. Go with me to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23 and verse 34. <clears throat> this is Christ as he hangs on the cross. Luke 23 and verse 34, it says, Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. And if we drop down to verse 46, it says, And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said this, thus he gave up the ghost. Now Christ prays almost the exact same prayer. He prays, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. And he says, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Receive my spirit. It's almost the exact same prayer. You know, truly Stephen in his life and now in his death had become like Christ, hasn't he? Become like his Savior, the one he was following. 
In his death, he reflected Christ unto those who were executing him, unto those around him. You know, Stephen, he hated the sin of the Jews. He hated their rejection of Christ. And, you know, he was not afraid to tell them of their sin. But Stephen loved them. He loved them and he prayed for them to find forgiveness. You know, this prayer from Stephen, it was heard by Almighty God. God answered Stephen's prayer. Who is there in attendance at the stoning? Saul. Stephen prays for those who are stoning him, those who are ascending to it. And Saul is saved. Saul gets saved. On the road to Damascus, the Lord meets him. God answered Stephen's prayer, did he not? As Saul came to know the Lord. You know, one early commentator said this, if Stephen had not prayed, the church would not have Paul. So that was a really interesting thought. Stephen prayed and God answered that prayer and you and I have all these wonderful writings from the Apostle Paul. We have the testimony of Paul and his ministry. Stephen prayed for him. And God answered that prayer gloriously in the life of the Apostle Paul. You know, with the conclusion of this prayer, we're told that Stephen now simply fell asleep. It says, and when he had said this, he fell asleep. You know, Stephen went home to be with the Lord. Stephen's death here was not the end. It was simply the beginning of eternity with his Savior. Indeed, sleep, indeed, death story is but a sleep for those who know Christ. Let's turn to 1 Thessalonians 4. I know we know it well, but it's such a glorious passage. Let's turn there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Verse 13, first of all, it says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Here we read that that's, this is exactly what it is for the believer. It's just a sleep. When you and I die, we fall asleep. Death is but the beginning of eternity with Him. It's but a sleep. The body sleeps. The spirit goes to be with the Lord in heaven. And when Christ comes again, He will bring the spirits of those who have died and the bodies will be raised and glorified. In verse 14, it says, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with Him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Now, what a wonderful joy it is to know that death is but a sleep for the believer. What a joy. To know that all of our loved ones, even now, those who have died in Christ, they are in glory. Their spirits are with the Savior, like Stephen. They've met the Lord. And they're with Him even now, awaiting that day when they will come back with Him and receive a new and glorified body. And you and I will meet them in the air. What a wonderful joy. What a wonderful thing it is to know that that's where our loved ones are. That they are awaiting that day. You know, also, what a joy it is to know the very worst the enemy can do unto us is send us home to glory. 
the very worst the enemy can do is, like Stephen, put us to death. Well, send us to glory. Send us home to be with the Lord. You know, that knowledge ought to give you and I confidence and strength to live for Him even now while on this earth. Confidence and strength, knowing that nothing they can do unto us can affect us. The very worst they can do is send us home to glory. You know, God does not call all of us to be martyrs like Stephen, but He does call all of us to be living sacrifices, doesn't He? Romans chapter 12. Again, we know this passage well, but let's turn there. Romans 12. Romans 12, verse 1 and 2, it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. It may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. It is God's desire for all of us to be living sacrifices. It's God's desire that we daily seek to live for Him, to honor Him with our lives, to be transformed into the image of His Son, to become more like Christ. That we live our lives in a way that reflects Him, in a way that reflects His love unto this lost and dying world. That we're faithful in our lives. You know, the reality is that only when we are faithful in our lives, when we are willing to live for Him, will we then be willing to die for Him, as Stephen did here, if that's what God calls us to do. In 1948, Jim Elliot wrote this in his journey, uh, journal. Sorry, He said, I seek not a life long, but a full one, like you, Lord Jesus. Two years later, he wrote, I must not think it strange if God takes in youth those whom I would have kept on earth till they were older. God is peopling eternity, and I must not restrict him to old men and women. Like Stephen, Jim Elliot and his four companions were called on January 8, 1956, to people eternity, as they were slain by the very people they were seeking to reach. You know, what has happened since to the orcas is proof that the blood of the martyrs is indeed the seed of the church. Many are now Christians. Many have come to know the Lord because of Jim Elliot and his companions. You know, Jim and his companions, like Stephen, they were faithful in their lives and therefore they were ready to stand and die when the time came. They were willing to die. And there is a reward promised in heaven for men like these who give their life for the Lord. In Revelation 2, verse 10, it says, Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. God rewards these faithful servants who are willing to die for the faith. Beloved, I trust that it's our desire to be faithful in life, like these men, with our eyes firmly fixed upon him, so that we might then have the courage to stand, even as these men, if the time comes. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for Stephen, and we thank you for his great testimony, Lord. Lord, for his, his strength and his courage, his faith, Lord, in you. Lord, we know that, Lord, the, the source of that strength was that he kept his eyes upon you through it all. And, Lord, we just pray that you would help each of us, Lord, to, 
be willing to live for you, to be faithful in our lives, Lord, so that we might then be willing to stand, even as Stephen and Jamel and his companions, Lord, and others who have died for the faith. Lord, help us to be faithful in life, we pray. In Jesus' name.